Welcome to Miami, Luis Reyes, straight into the arbitration room. Arbitration hearings have been happening this week. We have news on Luis Reyes. We have news on Jesus Lazada. We are awaiting news on John Birdie. Wait to see on that one. Plus, it is prospect ranking season. Keith Law is back with his 2023 version of the top 100. Plus, also, a farm ranking as well. We're going to dig into that on today's episode, as well as the arbitration news, all on a Friday episode with the UK GOAT, Sean Barrett, all on today's Locked On Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked on Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast. Happy Friday, guys. Hope everyone is doing well. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on Twitter at Miami Marlins underscore UK. If you are listening, hit subscribe. If you are wondering, yes, there is a YouTube channel. Yes, it is called Locked on Marlins. And yes, you can see us. We are here. Myself, the UK goat, Sean Barrett, is back on a Friday. Sean, thanks for joining me. How are we doing, brother? Doing well. Rare Friday appearance for me. Very rare. You did a wise choice of getting this in early, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I know the profile. <laughs> I know the profile of both myself and yourself. And Friday evenings, it's fair to say, can get sloppy, uh, potentially at the back end. So we've we've hit it early, relatively early. Um, so this will be dropping really kind of East Coast friendly. Uh, you even get your evening commute home, your afternoon commute home, whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, tons to get into, mate. I mean, we're here, start of Feb, and more news continues to rumble. Feels like the roster is firming up, but the number, the dollar amounts is really starting to firm up here. Uh, and as well, some of the prospect view, the prospect status, let's say, is starting to formalize as well with uh, MLB Pipeline, Keith Law, everyone out there now putting out their views in terms of the prospects uh, and where the Marlins sit within that. So, absolutely tons to get into today guys i'm really looking forward to this one uh but before we do that guys uh this episode is brought to you by FanDuel sportsbook it's official sportsbook of locked on make every moment more you can visit fanduel.com slash locked on today to get started there'll be more from those guys later on just wait to see that uh sean First arbitration uh, news dropped yesterday on Thursday. Luis Arias, uh and the Marlins have now firmed up the arbitration one number and the arbitor, that's the way, right way of phrasing it, uh, sided with Luis Arias. The, the, the kink in this one is the, the five million that was sum- submitted by the team was not submitted by the Marlins. So that is a, a wrinkle to this whole system where the Twins had submitted $5 million and Arias had filed at $6.1 million. The Marlins can't do anything with what was submitted by the Twins. So that is the wrinkle in this one. And the decision comes down in favor of the player. Love to see that, by the way. So, Sean, Arias, $6.1 million, year one of ARB. Uh, the best second baseman in baseball, perhaps. Uh, how are we feeling about the uh, the dollar amount? And let's just dig into this really kind of unique situation here that the Marlins faced into where they've traded for a guy that they really liked and coveted. 
And one of their first orders of business is to walk into the arbitration hearing and try to haggle 1.1 million worth of bucks out of him. So an interesting start to the relationship, I think, on this one. Absolutely. I mean, it's a strange situation, isn't it? Yeah. The idea that the Marlins essentially first order of business is to tell the buyers why he doesn't deserve to earn X amount of money. Um, <laughs> wow. But for me, it's weird, isn't it? Because I talk a lot about fixed costs and, and, and known costs. And I mean, the Marlins knew that at worst that was going to be 6.1. Yeah. But it, I think realistically, a team, if a riot had come in early pre the the numbers being matched. I think they might have tried to sort of meet in the middle somewhere because yeah. Arias had a great year. Let's not let's not take that away from him. And six point one for a first year of arbitration. That's only that that serves now as the baseline for year two and year three. And you know it is a case of that number is big. That's one of the one of the larger year one ARP numbers that the Marlins will have ever paid. Definitely. Uh, so. I think it is a case of they, they knew that, I think they probably knew that they were going to lose. I think, I hope they didn't argue too hard in, in, the, in that room because the, the last thing you want to do is, is, is upset the player in his first two weeks of, of, a, of being a Marlin. But the number is deserved, isn't it? He's, you know, the batting title. He's, he's a great player. He's, the Marlins traded for him for a reason. Yeah, uh, and and they knew that they were going to have to back that up by paying him down the line. It's uh, the the point that you made there. I think is is really intriguing. I, I mean, it'd be very interesting to see how the Marlins actually handled that situation, and whether actually they just went, we can't do anything about the numbers that are filed. We've traded for a guy that we really like, and actually we maybe see being a big part of the future. Maybe this was one of the shortest hearings in history. Maybe the Marlins just walked in there and said, Luis, you deserve 6.1 million. You take the 6.1. And that was it. Maybe that was the end of the conversation. That may be the optimistic way of looking at things. But we know the Miami Marlins and we know their financial approach. And gut feel says there was still some discourse, let's say, around uh, the topic and but the Marlins, in some ways, were put in a really tricky spot there. However, they could have they could have done something before the the hearing, perhaps. You know, there's nothing stopping them, I guess, before the hearing, reaching a deal, and they didn't. Arias clearly felt he was worth six point one million. I was looking back. I mean, I always think of what's the biggest kind of arbitration numbers knocking around for year one. I just went straight to Juan Soto, thinking, what did Soto get in in, in Arbor? And he got eight point five million Soto, and so. You know, that for me is like the super, super, superstar ARB1 number. And Arias isn't a million miles away from that. So he's done well. Soto obviously well accelerated into that as well as he's gone into ARB2 and, um, uh, you know, and beyond. So, you know, it's it's a rocky start for the for the relationship, perhaps. I do hope the Marlins were sensitive to that. But at the end of the day, it's just business, as they say. But now we have the baseline there. We also get news uh, around Jesus Lozado. The Marlins were haggling uh, for a couple hundred thousand with this one with Jesus. I think the Marlins filed at 2.1 uh, and Lozado at 2.45. So 350K on Lozado. Uh, they see him as a big part of the future, according to the sense we get in the trade market. Um, it feels a bit awkward again with someone that they are 
you know, really looking towards for the next three seasons to have that type of conversation. I don't know. For me, I, I feel like the Marlins have probably played this one a little bit wrong. I don't know. What about you? I, I do. I think I, I've always thought that. I think it was Jordan McPherson, if it wasn't, I apologise, who basically said that he expects it to go to, expected it to go to the arbiter because Lozardo felt like he his number was artificially low compared to what he was now. Right. Um, and for me, I think I've responded along the lines of for this meeting in the middle at one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars is it's not nothing. Let's not kid ourselves. No. But in the grand scheme of things, to keep a guy that you want to be your number two number three picture yeah. yeah going down the line it's 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 not much money to keep him happy to keep him invested in the marlins like the the, the sooner you tell a player this is just a business and we look at you like ones and zeros on a, a spreadsheet that's that just doesn't look good does it in my eyes um, and it was a small number. And again, yes, up one, so that number multiplies through the years. Yeah. Um, but I think on the back of what we saw from Lozardo last year and projecting that into the future, I think the Mines have got an asset there that they really shouldn't mess around with. No, and I think we, we got that sense last time around with Pablo Lopez. Like, they ended up going to arbitration again. It was actually during the season. It was a bit funky um, because of the, the lockout. Um, and already I remember I was, uh, uh, Danny Alvarez was on the pod with me at the time. And I asked him about that topic specifically, you know, what's, what's your sense here with the Marlins and Pablo Lopez? They'd obviously just extended Sandy and his point that, you know, his view at that stage was, doesn't get the sense the Marlins are looking to extend Pablito, uh, and obviously now traded. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be, you know, it's just part and parcel of, of baseball. It's a, it's a, a funky element of baseball and the way that, this whole process works. I can't quite wrap my head around it, but hey-ho, it is what it is, and it's newsworthy right now, so that's good. Um, but you know, two of the Marlins' best players they end up, ended up having an arbitration hearing with, uh, and we kind of know how they go. And I would say they should probably look to avoid those kind of conversations at all costs if they can. Primarily because if they do want to extend these guys, they, they need to play to hometown discount kind of vibes. <laughs> so as a quid pro quo as part of that, you need to kind of look after him maybe in the early part. Anyway, um, John Birdie, we haven't heard about yet. I mean, clearly, you know, Urias and, and Lozado are the bigger uh, priorities perhaps and the bigger numbers, but we'll wait to see how Birdie, fa Birdie fares here. Um, that news is expected later on today. So probably by the time you're listening to it, you will know what's happened. Um, Sean, we're going to talk about some prospects real soon, and we're going to talk about Keith Law, which is one of my favorite prospect analysts uh, for certain. Uh, but before we do that, guys, uh, as I've already mentioned, it's uh, it's time to talk about FanDuel, and we're excited about our new sports betting partner. Have you been in? Have you got into the app yet? Have you signed up? If you haven't, uh, make sure you do and listen up later. Um, but for Locked On, this is the number one sports book in America, and it's FanDuel. And if you are new, it's even better. They've got so many great features that make betting on sports fun and easy. I've even fired up the graphics now on uh, on YouTube. So there we go. You can download FanDuel right now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. absolutely love that line. You get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. 
They've got everything covered on FanDuel. They let you bet on the money line, of course, point spreads, who will score a touchdown. You name it, FanDuel, have it. It's safe and secure and super easy to use, of course. And you get paid winnings instantly. No waiting. Yes, sir. And, and listen, there could be some serious winnings to be had on those Chiefs. I don't know. We'll wait and see. Um, so <laughs> join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That is FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. All right. All right, then, Mr. Barrett, let's talk some prospects now. And disclaimer now to everyone that's listening, uh, myself and Sean Barrett, are not, this isn't our main specialism. It's definitely not mine uh, for certain. So I think it's fun to talk about. I like talking about it. And again, it's one of the, the, the I guess, most polarizing topics in baseball, I'd say, around prospect evaluations, number of top 100 prospects and rah, rah, rah. Um, what we continue to see over and over and over again is, uh, yeah, those rankings can be a little bit wonky at times. The best prospects in baseball flame out quickly and uh, it just is what it is. But Sean, I'd, you know, let's dig into Keith Law's top 100, three top 100 prospects for the Marlins. Uh, no surprises on who the top prospect is, Uri Perez. Uh, however, the main headline I would say is that he is Keith Law's top pitching prospect overall, and that is huge gravitas to Uri Perez. I mean, were you surprised that he was the top pitching prospect overall? Not at all. I think the last time we, <laughs> yes, last time we spoke prospects, um, we spoke a lot about Uri. I think we spoke seventy five percent about Uri, and and deservedly so. Yeah, what right. he did in Double A at the age of nineteen is crazy. And I remember us talking about the idea of he could see major league time next year, this this coming year. Absolutely. Uh, and and early, you know, it could be as soon as as June. It could be straight away, not straight away, because there's still some financial finagling going on in Major League Baseball, but less so than there used to be. But yeah. I think we could re realistically see Yuri as soon as needed. That's depending it. On, depending on how things go through the season. Yeah. He he has the stuff. He has the control. Um, he is he is every part the best pitcher in baseball. He has, yeah, like I said, the stuff, the control, the makeup. Everything about you is number one in baseball as far as a prospect. And that's just that's not me saying that. That's me hearing other people that know what they're talking about saying that. Absolutely. I'm with you, mate. That's all I hear is uh, just how impressive Uri Perez is. He has it all, and particularly for a man of his size. I think that is the one thing that really stands out, literally, um, is that Uri Perez's stature and to have the stuff and control is unique. And to your point, this is going to be a when-needed situation with Uri because, you know, with the injuries to, to Max Meyer, the rehab to Sixto, trade of Pablo, um, you know, they're, they're one or two little dings away from, from needing him, you know, early on in the year. And we know the drill, right? Like, we think back to last year, Lazardo within a month, month and a half, um, was down. It's just, it's just baseball, right? There's going to be little injuries and whatever to these guys. So, 
we're going to see Yuri Perez, I think, pretty early. I think we're going to see him before the All-Star break, to be honest. I'm very intrigued um, to see how he can translate. Uh, to be honest with you, it's you know it's going to be wild to follow. And this won't just be a, a Marlin story. This is going to be an MLB, a national story, I think, that will just bubble along in 2023. There's going to be a lot of buzz, a lot of eyeballs on him. And for me, that is going to be the biggest thing is just trying to see, trying to just keep within himself. But, and I think this is what it, what it boils down to spending so much time with Sandy. Like Sandy is definitely, uh, they've, they've come very close, the two of them. And because I think Sandy knows, I think Sandy knows that we're going to be, he's going to be in the rotation for a good chunk of 23, to be honest with you. And it's about preparing him mentally, learning from Sandy, because Sandy, in terms of preparation, to me, sounds almost second to none. The way he phases out, the way he concentrates, the way he gets himself ready to go. And I think there's Sandy just kind of starting to groom him in terms of what it is you need to be doing to prepare, to make sure that you can shut it all out, turn up on the man and deliver like we know he can. Very exciting situation. Let's scroll way down the prospect list, though, now. The second prospect in Keith's rankings here, Dax Fulden. Uh, lefty, obviously, Dax. I would say um, he... He has definitely had a lot of helium as well, Sean, recently. Like, there's a lot of buzz around Dax. And for me, he was unranked last year in Keith's uh, top 100. So we have to call that out. So he's a riser. And I think that uh, corresponds to what we've been seeing as Marlins fans. So Dax Fulton, what does the outlook look like for him in 23? I mean, I think he's a little, I mean, he's a little bit older, but he's a little bit further away. I mean, and that's not a slight, I mean, you everyone's old, everyone's older yeah, compared to be, <laughs> if he makes it into the major leagues this year at the age of 20. I yeah. mean, I hearken back to, I'll, I'll never give up an opportunity not to talk about Jose Fernandez, but he came Absolutely. up when he was 20 and it was a case of, is he ready? This is early for the Marlins, specifically around that era, bringing up a player when he was young, when you've got all this, you know, starting that clock early. Yeah. When the player is ready, the player is ready. Jose mm. Fernandez was ready. I think Yuri's ready. So to, to say that Dax is a little bit older, that he's a little bit further away, he rose mainly because he had a great year. I mean, the, the, again, the stuff and the walks. Like, you usually see, you know, players developing through the prospects uh, leagues and they've got the K per nine, but they haven't got the walk per nine. The walks always come a little bit later. The control comes a bit later. Yeah. That's had that last year, admittedly, mostly at high A and then absolutely blew the doors off double A at the end of the year. So mm -hmm. in a way he's, he's ready to start at double A. I don't care about triple A for pitching, not for no. top, top prospects. So he will no. start in double A. If he has a, yeah, you know, I think realistically a great year in Double A next year. Then we're looking at twenty twenty four for Dax, um, but a riser. So yes, he rose into the top hundred. Yeah. If he has another year like he did this year, you could see him in the top fifty next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember the pick at the time. You know, you go back to the draft itself where he was selected in the twenty twenty draft, and at the time I remember the buzz. He would, he. He just had Tommy John, I think, um, coming out of high school. So it was a high school pick, but he was a big dude, lefty. And at the time, he, you know, he ends up as a... Uh, the Marlins had to go over slot amount for him because he was projected as a first-rounder. Um, but the Tommy John see, saw him slide. The Marlins, like what they saw, thought, you know what? Let's take him here in, in the second round. And everyone talked about it at the time, saying this feels like a great pick. 
And I think, as we know with the Marlins, they can really develop some pitching. Uh, that's that's for sure. So Dax Fulton, for me, a really intriguing name. I would say intriguing for many reasons, not just what his performance will be like in 2023 in the minor leagues, but I would also say clearly a name that is rising. And if there is to be some trade activity, the type of name that could be included in that as well as like a headline piece, uh, perhaps. So we'll wait and see. You know, the Marlins just have a lot of arms. They've already got a stacked rotation, and we're talking about Uri Perez, Dax Fulton. Let's talk about the next guy who actually could be the next guy after Uri Perez. You've got to scroll a little bit further down now as well, the number 97, and it's Jake Eder. And, you know, Jake Eder going back to 2021, losing track of years now, but had a stunning 2021. All of a sudden, he was the helium guy and then got hurt right at the back end of 21. Uh, Tommy John out for 2022, but he's on the comeback trail. I believe he's just had an episode with the Fish Stripes guys as well. So uh, do check that out as well. I haven't managed to yet, but I think it only dropped today. Um, so that'd be great to hear from Jake Eder himself. But he sits then. He's a top 100 prospect. Jake Eder, um, you know, like I said, a helium guy. Got hurt. It's going to be interesting to see how he comes back, though, Sean. But overall, again, another arm here for the Marlins in the top 100. They just keep doing and another it. lefty as well. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> you have to say no lefty. They keep doing it. I mean, yeah, either, yeah. The the numbers. I mean, it's yeah, all the way back in 2021, which just sounds sick to say. But it does. It's it, yeah. Tommy John is 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 what it is. We know what that is. It, it's less of an issue now in modern era. But it's still no guarantee, so we need to see what he can do. I think, you know, he's going to start the year. He's going to he's going to pitch eighty innings, maybe that might be the high end as well. Yeah. Um, and then and then you're looking at another one twenty, one forty the year after. It's going to be a slow progression. Yeah. Um, the only thing I care about for Ida is health. Yeah. Uh, if if Obviously. he can stay on, if he can stay on the mound, and he. The, the predetermined, because they'll have a predetermined number of innings they want him to pitch. If he can hit that this year and next year, hang the results. I don't care. If he's healthy through what they need him to do for the next two years, in my book, that's ideal. Of course, I fully expect with the talent he's got, if he's back to being what he was, he'll hit those numbers as well. He'll hit those those high Ks, the good walks. You know, it is a case of it's a slow progress. If the fact that Keith Law, who is, I don't want to call him anti-Marlin, but <laughs> I know that there are many people, and you're, you're one of them, Pete, that would mm. say that. So for him to be in the top 100, given that, just shows you the pedigree that he had pre-Tommy John. Yeah, for certain. I, again, another really intriguing guy and, and deserves to be in the top 100. He absolutely... Again, this is this is where, like, overall top prospect rankings is a is a, is a funny thing when you, when you factor in the injury itself. When players are injured, they typically drop quite significantly in these rankings. But, you know, is, is that the right approach? I, I don't know. This is, rankings are just for fun anyway. I mean, I put some rankings out there and everyone wants to, you know, give their opinion. It's a talking point. It's what it is. And really, overall, means little, to be honest. But we enjoy it. We enjoy the discourse. Um, with that being said, Sean, who, with those three guys in, into Keith's top 100, was there anyone that you were surprised wasn't in there? Uh, because I, I remember, 
last year, there was a couple of eyebrows raised on a few players. We'll talk about that in a, in a second. But who do you think has perhaps maybe just missed out from the Marlins here this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously last year, Maya didn't, it was, was, did he even make it or was he just very low? I can't remember. Now with the Tommy John, he's, he's out of the picture for now. Yeah. Um, obviously the high pick Jacob Berry is, is a discussion point for me, just because I've been big on him from the beginning, Yudicape, I think he did. I said last year when we spoke about prospects, I think that if he has a good year, as I predict, he could hit the top 100. Yep. He had a good year, but didn't reach the top 100. So I think he's just about on that cusp. Well, I'm not angry that he's not in the top 100, but I think he's he's in that 90 to 110 spot um, in my mind. And I, I think he's fully deserved that as well. The fact that the Marlins moved on from Salas, um, I don't want to say quite easily, but... Mm-hmm. You know, they, they traded him away, knowing what they've got with with Cape and maybe have a few other players in the middle infield spot. They they took that risk, and I think Cape has done, in my eyes, done enough on the field to to warrant the Marlins feeling that they can be comfortable doing that. I would say Cape seems to be the name, uh, position wise, anyway. <coughs> excuse me that is getting probably the most buzz, most helium. He's one of the biggest risers, I would say, in the system. In some ways, that's not hard because seemingly the the position players have, have had a bit of a struggle, it's fair to say. Just want to go back to the Keith Law uh, element from last year just to kind of tidy that up. Max Meyer wasn't in his top 100 prospects. And uh, Keith Law ended up blocking me specifically about this tweet, I believe. I didn't tag him. Uh, it wasn't I tagged him. I just said... I'll I'll read the tweet out to you and you guys can, you know, we're a year on. So it's always interesting to look back. I said, Keith Law doesn't have Max Meyer in his latest top 100 prospects list. I didn't finish there, though. I did add one extra sentence to bring it to life. And what I said was, however, Christian Pache is ranked 38th. This list is three poo emojis. The point I was making was I'd seen Pache. I'd seen him playing for the Braves and I knew I knew Pache's stick would not play at the major league level. I could see it. Keith Law was just in love with the glove. And Pache's stick did not play. What happened to him at the Braves? Traded. So, Keith, if you're listening, and I hope you are, you were wrong. You were wrong about Meyer and you were wrong about Pache. Anyway, Max Meyer still not in the top 100. So, there we go. Sean, you'd mentioned a name, though, I did want to talk about, and I think it's right for us to talk about, Jacob Berry. Uh, Number one pick uh, last year, it's fair to say it was polarizing uh, across the Marlins fan base. And it's polarizing for a few reasons. The first one being that he clearly is limited at third base. And so, in effect, the Marlins have taken a first-round pick on a DH, it seems. Uh, Which is fine in some ways. I mean just about fine if the guy hits, right? And I guess that's the key thing. I remember Jacob Berry coming onto the broadcast and saying, I'm going to barrel more baseballs than anyone, which I love to hear. If Jacob Berry hits, his fielding doesn't matter, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) He'd really have to hit. Um, So just just quick, because there are other prospect rankings out there that have have him in the top 100. I think he's mm. 61 on MLB pipeline, but I don't think many people respect that. Um, <laughs> so I went back and I looked at what Keith Law said about Jake Berry historically 
So mm. this is before the draft. This is before he became a Marlin. Because yeah. there have been some instances where players join the Marlins. It was prospects sometimes, major league players sometimes. And all of a sudden their rankings drop. Just by simply being in the proximity of the Marlins, which is yeah. always unfair. So I thought I'd have a look to see what he said. And basically um, he said exactly what he continues to say. That, that Barry doesn't have a position in baseball. He's a DH. Mm-hmm. And DHs have to hit. Mm-hmm. There is no other option. Um, and to be honest, he didn't have a bad year. He had a 118 WRC+. plus. The walks were okay. The Ks are okay. Um, not well, It's a small sample size, so you can't really knock the pop. But ultimately, he had a fine hitting season. Yeah. Um, he's a little bit older. He's 21 years and eight months already, and he's hitting 33 games in single A. So mm-hmm. the the point is that he has to hit, and he has to hit soon for yeah. him to be get be, to be getting anywhere near deserving us saying he should be in the top 100. Yeah, um, because at the moment I think he's only in the the top 100 from the pedigree, from what he did in college. Um, so it, it is a case of, I, I won't argue that he should be in the top 100 or in the top 50. I think if he hits this year, I think he could rise very quickly. Um, but for now, he is in that category of, when I look at Keith Law's list, and I know a lot of people had issues with it, and had, the Marlins at 21 was a bit of a concern. But my question, my honest question is, who should be on that list that isn't on that list? And yeah. right now, I can't find a, a, a strong argument for anyone. No. The thing is with Jacob Berry, just to call it out, like just my take on him generally in this prospect ranking situation, the pipeline have him where they have him because he was taken first overall and he had a, a great end to his college you know, career, whatever. So I get where they're coming from. I understand Keith Law's approach of it's a positionless dude that we haven't seen do anything yet. It's fine. Next year's prospect ranking will be the ranking for Jacob Berry, really. Full body of work in the Marlins organization. What does he do? And he'll be then approaching 23, and that will be the moment where we're looking at him going, yes, legitimate major league potential bat, or probably someone that's going to flame out and that's going to really struggle. So we're a little bit too early on Barry, to be honest with you. Um, who, who should, who do you think is going to be the biggest riser in the system now? As we kind of think about, you know, we got the top three guys, top four guys. However, is there anyone that you're kind of looking at and thinking they could be a big riser, or who could be the biggest faller as well? You, I mean, you may have names for both of those questions. Um, let's start with the riser, um, if you have one, and uh, maybe we'll finish on, on, on someone that may be overhyped at this point, if indeed you have a name, if there can be anyone overhyped in this Marlins system. No, I mean, ultimately, the, the only riser for me is Cape. Mm. Uh, he, is, he is arguably the number one um, offensive prospect that the Marlins have, it, it, at least for me. Yeah. Uh, I think all the pitchers at the moment are, are adequately ranked. I think the biggest faller for me could be Khalil Watson. Mm. I think we, what have we really seen so far? We haven't seen much in the way of offensiveness. Um, we've seen a lot of offensiveness, 
but we haven't seen <laughs> not much offense from him. And I Absolutely. think I think it is a case of he's young, he's so young, and, and I, yeah. I don't want to count these players out. But if we see another year, like we did last year, with with the, the immaturity and, and 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 the things that you know, the, the team didn't have a good word to say about him. It, it, it became a public issue, mm-hmm. um, something that they had to address publicly. And I think it is a case of he needs to come back. He needs to, you know, focus on playing baseball. Yeah, um, because he has all the talent in the world. Um, but if he can't, if he can't catch that, then yeah, I think he could fall. Yeah, it's it's again such a polarizing player. To be honest with you. I I put it out there a couple of weeks back that I I honestly believe that he could be the biggest riser. Um, You know, a guy that, you know, the Marlins were applauded for getting, for drafting him and getting him to sign. Um, It was, I think the biggest, I think he was the highest paid position player um, out of high school, I think perhaps, or some, there was some kind of status. So the Marlins took a big risk on this one and the tools, the tools were, were high. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a poor 2022 and every report you've had is, is negative. Um, but I, I just, you know, if things click for him mentally, I could see Khalil Watson just absolutely turning into a monster and, um, and, and, you know, everyone like next year, this time next year, sitting there going, yeah, Khalil Watson consensus top 50 prospect in baseball again, could absolutely see it, could see it going exactly the opposite way as well. The other guy that I'm thinking about in terms of a riser, um, is a name that it's a big name. It's a big name that's still a big prospect, and it's, you know, we'll wait and see how it goes. But we, we shouldn't forget that Sixto Sanchez remains a prospect. He still hasn't graduated yet. And, you know, we're, we're seeing more and more clips of Sixto throwing. Like, I'm intrigued to see how this year goes. But there's a pathway. There is a pathway to Sixto rising back up through the rankings here if he can just show the health it's all down to the health again mate but yeah i'm 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 very intrigued in terms of a biggest faller for me yeah i i think you know jacob berry i think is the most likely to fall not to say i think he will but right now i don't think you can accurately rank him and for mlb pipeline at you know circa 64 65 wherever he is uh if things go sideways for Jacob Berry in, in 23 and it's a slow progression, then, you know, he'll be nowhere near that, um, that kind of ranking next year. Um, the other name too, just on a, sorry, on a riser, Victor Mesa as well. Victor Mesa Jr. continues to impress. And I'm, I'm very intrigued to see what we get out of him in 2023. And uh, wouldn't it be something if he absolutely ascends off, you know, Victor Victor was the big name and the big money, but if Victor Mesa Jr. actually becomes the one and actually um, starts to progress even further and, and higher, wouldn't shock me, to be honest, Sean, um, you know, with Victor Mesa. But the Marlins just need to get something going with some offensive prospects. I mean, overall as a system, mate, they were ranked by Keith Law at 21. They've got only arms right now in the, the top 100 list that Keith has. Generally, it's all arms. And we've got some really volatile uh, positional players in this system. Um, I think for the Marlins, it's just about trying to get some something changing in terms of offensive development. And for me, if they can start to make that happen in 23, that would be a huge impact for this club, not just for now, but 
for the future, maybe, because we've been badly lacking in that department for you know, for many years, right? Oh, yeah, massive. It would be absolutely massive for the market. If you look at what they've done over the off-season right, and gone away from these toolsy guys going towards these contact-driven guys, mm. that hasn't happened at the prospects yet because you, you only have so many opportunities to acquire these players. The yeah. players that are in the minors at the moment for the Marlins are these toolsy guys that they've got, then got to try and teach the game of baseball. Um, they've got the power, they've got the speed, they've got the defensive ability, um, but the, the, the hitting of a baseball is not a simple thing. No. Um, consistently. Uh, so these players, hopefully, yeah, one or two of these guys reach the major leagues and reach their full potential. But there is a concern in my mind that these players, these toolsy guys, you know, you're taking a risk. You, you're taking a risk on the idea that these guys could be top, top players or they can flame out rather mm. than taking a, a, an everyday, boring major league player. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be interesting to me how the Marlins play it going forwards in the next draft. Do they go for that risky high school bat or do they go for a, a guy that they can project well? Um, I mean, it did that over the day and it didn't work out either. So in a certain sense, it, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I know there's still time on Blade, by the way. So let's, you know, let's not completely absolutely flame him and say he's, he's cooked, but it's funny, right? With with Jacob Berry, look back. The Marlins last last year and the Marlins more recently, like they know they've got the rotation, they know they've got the conveyor belt of arms, and that then just the tendency in a draft room in the in you know in your first round, it takes you down a pathway of well, we need some sticks and we need some college sticks. So all of a sudden, you start to filter accordingly. And you miss opportunities because you're a little bit blinded to perhaps, I mean, I don't know, I'm not in the room clearly, but you end up taking a Jacob Berry that you think can contribute in two years' time um, versus maybe a player that has a much better pro overall profile, but they're 18 and they're five years away and whatever. And the Marlins are looking like they're making win-now decisions in the draft room, perhaps. And... You know, we'll wait to see how it plays out. It's just, like I said, on Jacob Berry, it's too soon. Um, and, you know, 2023 will be the year where we start to get a read on it. But the year before, they go and they, they take the high school dude, the, the high upside toolsy high school dude and Khalil Watson, and they've been burned by that seemingly as well. But there's still time, as I've already mentioned. I think he could really still, still contribute. So drafting in baseball is a tough situation. Prospect rankings is a tough situation situation there is no sure thing in baseball what is certain though is that this is the end of the episode because we've almost gone 40 minutes <laughs> but it's friday we've got nowhere to be sean's actually got a few few cold ones cooling off anyway so he'll be ready to rock and roll um guys thanks for making locked on marlins your first listen of the day thanks for joining me all week uh there will be no episodes across the weekend unless there's any major news you know that guys of course uh, in the meantime, have a wonderful weekend. Thanks to the UK GOAT, Sean Barrett. Hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please hit me up on the comments, primarily on, on, on YouTube. The comments there are awesome. Please drop your thoughts. It's a highly polarizing topic in terms of prospects. The Marlins ranked in the bottom third in terms of farm system. I think that's too low, primarily because I think they have, not I think, most people think they have the best pitching prospect in baseball. And with that being said, that takes you up to at least mid-table. Nevertheless, guys, thanks for making Lockdown Manager first listen. It's Friday. 
Let's enjoy ourselves. Be back on Monday.